So here in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34, beginning with question and answer 93 down to 95, we'll read these responsively. So how are these commandments divided? Into two tables. The first has four commandments teaching us how we should live in relation to God. The second has six commandments teaching us what we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. That I rightly know the one only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. And now the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Pay attention to the reading of God's word. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it tonight. And I've entitled our sermon tonight, The Worst Trade Deal Ever. And that's what the Apostle Paul is describing for us. Now, we can kind of take a step back and ask ourselves, what are some of the worst trade deals ever in human history? And we can first ask, well, in sports, right? Uh, In sports and baseball, uh, baseball fans claim that the worst trade deal ever made in the history of sports was when the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees, and he became, you know, the big Bambino became a New York icon. But it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that bad of a deal because the consequences, where did they play out? They played out in the game of baseball. 
Now, on, on the other hand, we can think of other larger, more consequential trade deals, international trade deals that have been far worse in their consequences, detrimental to human society, widespread. The prophet Isaiah, as we were looking back in studying the book of Isaiah together, he reminded us of many of Israel's bad deals that they made with other nations that led to devastating results in the life of their own society, leading to their deportation from the promised land and also years under captivity by their invaders, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And we also see this in modern history as well. We can think of the transatlantic slave trade and that deal between Spain and Britain in the year 1713. And so this agreement uh, was one that granted the British Empire a monopoly on the trade of enslaved human beings from Africa with the Spanish colonies in the Americas. Under the Asiento de Negros, which is what the trade was called, Britain was entitled to supply those colonies with 4,800 enslaved Africans per year for 30 years. And Europeans captured other human individuals there in their homeland, shackled them, took them away from their homes, separated them from their families and transported them as cargo to another foreign land and then sold them as property to others. It's estimated that 12.5 million Africans were shipped to the New World and about 10.7 million of them survived that journey. What was the impact of this deal, this trade deal? Well, the Britannica Encyclopedia says this, the slave trade had devastating effects in Africa. Just think of how it left this crater of an impact in Africa. Economic incentives for the warlords and tribes to engage in the trade of enslaved people promoted an atmosphere of lawlessness and violence. Depopulation and a continuing fear of captivity made economic and agricultural development almost impossible throughout much of Western Africa. In a large percentage of the people that were taken, they were taken were women in childbearing years or young men who normally would be starting families. And the European enslavers usually left behind persons who were elderly, disabled, or otherwise dependent, groups who were least able to contribute to the economic health of their societies. It was a massive crater, totally devastating to the African society. And it wasn't only there in Africa, not to mention the suffering that endured here in the Americas for the slaves. And it's no surprise that even still today, uh, that the damaging effects of that evil transatlantic slave deal are still felt realities for many of African descent. And so in comparison to the Babe Ruth trade deal, right, uh, this is far worse, far worse, because this was at its core something evil. It was immoral. It was evil in its nature and widespread in its effects as well. Not just played out in a game, but played out in life, in society, over continents, right? This evil of enslaving other human beings, dehumanizing them as property. It had this devastating consequence that rippled all throughout the world. So that was far worse. But now, 
what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in our text, without a shadow of a doubt, is the worst trade deal of human history ever to have taken place. And it is this. We have all exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the creature instead of the creator who is blessed forever. Now, what is the nature of that trade deal, this worst trade deal that has ever happened? Well, we could go back to the very beginning and look at the first time that humanity made this bad deal. Back where? In the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam chose to worship a created thing, even himself, and the idea of becoming more glorious instead of the blessed creator, his God. And man devoted his heart to that which was a mere reflection of the glory of God instead of the God of all glory. It was the worst deal ever. And humanity, which was made to love God above all else, chose to love something else more than God. Worship the gifts instead of the giver of those gifts. This was a great moral evil. We could give this worst trade deal ever in history the fitting name of idolatry, which is what the Heidelberg Catechism is describing for us here when it says that idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God. In other words, we can think of it more simply as this idolatry is acting like something is more important than God himself. And that was the bad trade deal that we made, that Adam and Eve made in the beginning. He chose to believe that something is more important than God. And he traded communion with the blessed God, the creator. He traded that for a lie that something better could be found through his creation, the forbidden fruit and the lie that Satan held out to him. So how bad was this deal in idolatry? Well, look at verse 21. Verse 21, Paul there, he says that this deal was made against knowledge. Against knowledge. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. At this point, Paul is not referring specifically to Adam and Eve in the beginning, but instead to the entire world now after the fall. But it still applies to Adam and Eve as well in the beginning, because they chose the lie of Satan over against the plain knowledge that God had given to them and made known to them. For them, all of creation spoke of God's glory like a painting. Think of a painting. It reveals the beautiful mind and skill of the painter. And so, too, God's creation reveals the beauty and holiness of who he is. Or perhaps the discovery that a physicist makes reveals the brilliance of his mind. So, too, the beauty, the intricacies of God's design and creation reveals how brilliantly wise he is. And Psalm 19 refers to how this truth hits us day in and day out as we walk about in creation. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So they had that knowledge, Adam and Eve, in the beauty of God's creation. But not only that, they had more. They also had God's word of truth. The word of truth that if they stayed in his love and if they 
kept away from that forbidden tree, well, they would have lived forever in blessed communion with him. But instead, what do they do? They betrayed his love. You see, they had plenty of knowledge and they sinned against that knowledge. And here in Romans 1, Paul is talking about all people today long after that fall, that original fall. And he's saying that all people continue to make this same bad trade deal against plain knowledge that is poured out day by day to us about who God is. This means, in effect, that each and every human being, living and breathing person today alive, has before them each and every day sufficient evidence in the world to know what? That an all-powerful God exists and that we owe him our whole heart allegiance. That is clear. It is made plain, Paul says, just by observing creation. But instead of giving God the honor and thanks due to his name, people give their hearts still over to worship other things, created things. In verse 22 to verse 23, in this, in this idolatry, in this bad trade, Paul says that people think that they are smart, but in fact, they are acting like fools. This trade is bad not only because it's against knowledge, but also because it is foolish. It is folly, foolish to exchange the actual glory of God, the immortal God, to worship images that reflect the glory of God. Now, kids, think of this. If you happen to have a Ferrari, a real Ferrari car, would you trade that Ferrari for a model of it? No way. Right. That would be absolutely foolish. You'd be out of your mind crazy. But what humanity has done, the trade is far worse. We traded the glory of God for created things that are meant to be models, replicas of the glory of God, pointing and showing us how glorious God truly is. Creation tells us that God exists and he deserves our heart's deepest love. But instead... We love other things more than him. And this is foolish, like trading real gold for fool's gold. And Paul says that in this, we are all without excuse. No one has an excuse. None. We all know better. And in fact, deep down within us, we all know better. And yet people continue to make this worst trade deal ever, each and every day, by not worshiping the creator God. And the impact, the impact of this worst trade deal ever is disastrous, far more even than the transatlantic slave trade in the 18th century. Adam's choice of idolatry, what did it result in? In the deformation, deprivation of the image of God in each and every offspring of Adam. Therefore, all humans now even though we are still image bearers of God, that instead of living in knowledge, holiness, and righteousness, we are born in deceit, impurity, and wickedness. And as a result, the direction of the human heart has turned away from loving God supremely to loving other things supremely. It's like the compass of our heart is broken. It doesn't point true north anymore towards God and his glory, but points to all other kinds of things. Why is this so bad? 
Well, the corruption of our hearts, think of this, the corruption of our hearts is the root cause for each and every bad and evil thing that happens in the world. Each and every bad trade and its bad consequences all stem back to this original bad trade that Adam made in the garden. In a sense, we could look at each and every evil happening in the world and find in it its DNA, sort of the trace DNA of Adam's original sin that he committed against God in the garden. All flows and stems from that great evil. And therefore, by one act of disobedience, Adam's idolatry has brought much decadence and decay and death into God's good creation. And Paul talks about that in our passage in verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says that there is now much godlessness and wickedness from humanity in the world. Now, godlessness here refers to the vertical relationship with God. The humans continue to disregard and reject the creator God in order to love created things. We give them the stiff arm throughout our days. Godlessness is rejecting our humble place in that vertical relationship with God here as creatures and him as the creator. Godlessness is to act like there is no God above you to whom you should serve with your whole heart. Godlessness is one way that we reinforce this worst trade deal ever made. But Paul also mentions wickedness in verse 18. And God's righteous anger is against all ungodliness and wickedness. Wickedness refers to the horizontal relationships that we have with other humans. Not only do we reject God and not give him the honor and glory he deserves, but we also mistreat one another. We mistreat our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and everyone around us. Because people naturally want to live apart from the divine law of God, and because they do not want to love their neighbor as themselves, what do they do? Paul says they suppress the truth. And the verb here for suppressing the truth in the Greek is a compound word. It means to hold on to something intensely. So to hold on to something and keep it at bay, to hold it back. You can picture this as in, in kind of a metaphorical way of truth as personified as a person. So we could call him Mr. Truth. So Mr. Truth is coming at each and every person every day through the creation or through the word of God. And Mr. Truth comes trying to teach people about God. And what do people do with Mr. Truth? Well, they put him into a submissive hold. They put him down, suppress him, try and silence him. And if they cannot silence him, they will kill him. It's no surprise that this is exactly what humanity did when the truth of God actually came in human flesh, right? In the person and work of Jesus. We tried to silence him. We tried to snuff him out. We tried to kill him and put an end to him. But again, of course, we know he rose again from the dead. But as we get back to the text, what Paul is saying is that this is happening. This continues to happen throughout the world, that people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because they don't want to change their ways. And not only are people vertically godless, but they're horizontally wicked. And they actively suppress the truth of God in their hearts in order to live as laws unto themselves. 
Now, what are more consequences for this bad trade deal in idolatry? Look at the second part of verse 21. The second part, as a result of not worshiping God, Paul says in verse 21, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I mean, this makes sense, right? If you try and snuff out the light of truth about the creator, you can't expect to rightly understand his creation in the dark. You can't. Paul is saying that until people recognize and submit to the knowledge of God, that their thinking in all areas is ultimately empty, vacuous, and their hearts are still in the dark, which only adds to the suppression of that truth. So throughout this, we've seen that I, this that idolatry is evil, it's against knowledge, it's foolish, and it results in godlessness and wickedness all throughout society, even as humans try and suppress the truth about God all the more. Where do we see this idolatry happening today in our world? Well, we have to remember that idolatry is acting as if something is more deserving of our love than God. And in his book, Counterfeit Gods, Pastor Tim Keller defines an idol in this way. He says, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything, think of this, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God does. Just let that sink in a bit. Now, we heard this morning, right, from Pastor Daniel in Psalm 139. We heard how David, King David, asked God to examine his heart and test and see whether or not there is any evil within him, any grievous way. We can ask the same thing, ask God to examine our hearts and see if there is an idol there within that we should get rid of. And one way that we can examine our own hearts in that matter is by asking this question. Is there anything in my life that if I lost it, I would lose the will to live, that life would no longer seem or appear worth living if i lost x y or z then ah what's the point of life and if that is not god at the end of the day then that thing is an idol that we have forged and set up in our own heart if god is not the ultimate reason for our living our rising and our lying down then something else is and that thing or that person is an idol It's either God or something else. As Calvin famously put it, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, constantly making new things to worship instead of the creator who is blessed forever. And how how does this happen? Well, people treat all kinds of things as more important than God. We can give some examples, right? Our hearts are given over in attention and adoration to things like our careers, And this is a big one for lots of people. Or our own knowledge, right? We might take pride in our own knowledge. Or our image on social media might be our kind of idol that we're worshiping. Or our children's success could be another one. Or our various many possessions. And even the pleasures that come with food and drink or sex. These things, most of them, are not evil in and of themselves. Most idols are actually good things that were made by God. But it is evil to treat the good gifts as more important than the giver of those good gifts. Now, kids, again, what would you say of a kid on his birthday or on Christmas 
cared more about the presents that he got or didn't get than his parents who gave him those gifts. What would you say about a kid like that? Ah, spoiled. Probably doesn't deserve to get any gifts, right? If he cares more about the presents than his own parents? Well, that is what we do with God, right? When we care more about the gifts that he gives us in life than the giver himself in whom we live and move and have our being. So whenever we treat a gift of God as more important than him, the giver, then we have an idol in our hearts. And our life should evidence a God-centeredness, that he is at the center of all that we do, our first love. And yet in society, we see again that godlessness, right? All different kinds of idols that people are pursuing. And we at times as well are caught up in the pursuit of vain idols. We read in verse 24 that because of this rampant idolatry in the world and in our hearts, what does God do? He gives people over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So this is partially how God is punishing humanity for idols, for not loving him. What does he do? He lets people have their sinful desires. He lets them go at it. He allows them to dishonor themselves and their bodies in the pursuit of these false gods. In other words, God lets people willfully wreck and ruin themselves by their sin. Now, he allows this bad trade deal to play out and its consequences to unravel. He lets individuals and societies commit all kinds of lawless things. And we might ask ourselves, why? Why would a good and loving God let that happen? Why does he give us over to our desires at times? Well, I think a helpful way to understand and answer that question is by looking at the parable of the prodigal son. The father, what does he do? He lets his son run free and and rampant in sinful desires and he lets him ruin himself until he's sunk down low there with the pigs trying to eat the food with them why why did he let him do that so that from his ruin there in the muck with the pigs he would remember the goodness of his father and come begging pleading back for mercy and grace going back to the goodness of his father so that there at the end of the road of his sin, letting him, letting him go to, the, to its end in misery and nearly death, he would see, wow, this has been folly. This has been foolish. What was I doing? I must go back to my good father. So God is letting humans and society ruin themselves in sin and idolatry for this same reason, so that his chosen beloved ones would see their misery and desire to return to the goodness of God, their creator. So he wants us to all wake up and smell the stench of this worst trade deal ever made. He wants us to see the folly of idolatry and come back to him pleading for mercy. We can pause here and ask ourselves this question. Have you come to that realization yourself? Have you seen that? Do you realize that to live for anything else besides God is the worst trade deal you could ever make 
And that that deal, idolatry, will lead to your own misery and to ultimately eternal death. You see, we need to wake up to that reality. We need to see that this, that idolatry is disastrous. That is the first step. We must see our sad state before we hear the good news about what God has done to fix us. But when we do, we see what God has done. And it is amazing. It's marvelous. He has, instead of this worst trade deal ever, he has made a new deal through the person and work of Jesus Christ. A deal that annuls the bad one and restores us again. And we hear about it in the passage of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 14 to 18. And I'll read parts of it, pause and explain along the way. But there, the prophet Isaiah is foretelling what God would do. And he speaks, first of all, about this worst trade deal that humanity has done in this covenant. And he says, you have said you made a covenant with death. And with Sheol, we have an agreement. So covenants and agreements, these are deals, right? We've made this deal. They took refuge. What did Israel do? They took refuge in Egypt, hoping that Egypt would come to their aid and help them and save them. But it was folly. It was disastrous. And they thought, ah, when this overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. We have made lies our refuge. And in falsehood, we have taken shelter. And again, the prophet, he's being ironic here. He's calling them out. He's saying, you've made a bad trade deal. You you tied yourself up with Egypt. It's not going to go well. And this is the same thing for each and every one of us in idolatry. It's not going to go well with you if you stick with your false gods and reject the one true God. Instead of trusting him, if you take shelter in lies and falsehood, you will end up in misery and destruction. And now in response, we might expect God to destroy us for this terrible offense. But instead, the prophet Isaiah tells us about something glorious. He was going to make this better deal that's going to fix everything. And he says this, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation Whoever believes will have peace and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. So what is he saying? He's saying that even though humanity has made a wreck of themselves with this Worst trade deal ever in idolatry, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Worshiping the creature instead of the creator, that God has done something. He sent his precious son as the cornerstone to rebuild humanity after we've made a mess of ourselves. And Jesus is that cornerstone. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And Isaiah is saying that if you believe in this cornerstone, Jesus, oh, God will cancel that prior bad trade deal, that covenant of death. It will be annulled, done away with. You can get rid of and get out of that worst trade deal ever just by believing in Jesus and committing your life to him. And when you do, God promised this in Isaiah. He said, I will make justice the line 
and righteousness the plumb line. And so what those are, it's fascinating, is the measuring line and the plumb line. They refer to tests that were used by architects and builders for horizontal and vertical exactitude to make sure that the building was set right and stable, standing. God's saying that through this precious and reliable cornerstone, Jesus, the just one, he is going to set all things right vertically and horizontally, restoring our relationship with God and restoring our relationship with one another. And so don't just see the worst trade deal ever that we examined, idolatry. Don't just see that. See also the Son of God who gives us the best trade deal ever, the gospel, the good news. He died to give you eternal life. And the gospel is that great exchange, the great exchange, the gracious exchange, the just one for unjust sinners like you and like me. Our record of idolatry in exchange for his record of perfect obedience. Give your sins over to Jesus, confess them. And what does he give you in exchange? His perfect righteousness, his obedience to cover and atone for all your sins. Despite our foolish and disastrous trade, God has done everything necessary to forgive us all our sinfulness, all our idolatry, and to restore us again in Jesus. So don't suppress the truth any longer. Cast down your idols, believe in Jesus, and then glorify God. Put him at the center of your life. Put him first in your heart. Give him thanks and honor as is due his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this piercing evaluation of our hearts that we hear from Romans chapter 1. The idolatry that runs rampant in the world around us, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creature instead of the creator who is blessed forever. And we admit and confess, O Lord, that we too have fallen into the same. Lord, you see our idolatry and lord we ask that you would help us see any idols that might still be there lodged in a crevice or a dark corner of our hearts reveal that to us lord so that we might cast them down and instead worship you with our whole hearts lord we ask that as well for any who who might be here especially the young lord that have not believed fully in jesus or truly we ask that you give us Give them true repentance and faith that they might see uh, the end of sin, misery and death, and instead turn away from it and go to you and trust in you as the giver of all good gifts, the one who loves us and has done everything to forgive us and to restore us through Jesus. Give our little ones that faith, we pray and ask. In Jesus' name, amen.